Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. Uh, good morning, C4 family. All right. Thank you. That was good this time. Thank you. I'm really glad you're here this morning. And again, to you and our online audience this morning, welcome to you, wherever you might be in our province, in our country, around the world. We're glad you're joining us uh, this morning. You know, there's one thing that um, if we could be candid with each other this morning as a community, that is difficult to change. It's sort of like an internal thermometer that many of us don't take the time to evaluate, and some of us maybe don't even have the ability to do so. It's expectations. Expectations are consuming in all of our lives. If your expectations for yourself or your friend or your work or your spouse or this community are too high, you end up becoming a perfectionist. You end up never being satisfied or you actually begin to spiral down into something called self-hate. If your expectations are too low, you end up becoming, well, lazy or not fulfilling who or what you're supposed to be. The most dangerous thing we all know is this. It's unmet expectations that have never been communicated before. When I got married 11 years ago, I had expectations. They're different now. I mean, anyone who's in a relationship of any sort, I'm not even talking marriage, romantic, I mean, any of us know this. Like, I like, I have a worldview of organization. Uh, my wife has a worldview of chaos. So after 11 years, we've settled at organized chaos. No, seriously. I mean, there's, there's this, I had to adjust my expectations of what I thought our house needed to look like. And by the way, that's not a guy thing. My wife shall do this, please. We are involved together as a couple. But I had to change my expectations, and she had to change her expectations so we did not kill each other. Now, I have three children. (laughs) My expectations have changed again. We have gone from organized chaos to capital C, chaos, and I have to be okay with it. See, all of us know, sitting in this room, that expectations are the very thermometer of all sorts of our interactions inter, uh, with ourselves, with God, and with others. And when expectations are not fulfilled, everything goes south. Whether you've communicated them, whether they were right, whether they were wrong, whether you never even processed what was going on in your expectation head, this is what takes place. So why are you bringing this up, John? I'll tell you why. It's simple. The reason why we are doing a spiritual gift series is not just to build a common script as a church so we can work together as a family. It is to adjust all of our expectations about each other. Because unmet expectations destroy churches. Unmet expectations drive people from each other. Unmet expectations Unrealistic expectations, proper expectations, if not walked through, end up dividing the very heart of God called the church. And so today as you hear me speak, and we begin to continue to dialogue through the spiritual gifts that God has sovereignly given this church and every church, ask yourself the question about expectations. 
especially today. You'll understand why I'm going here in about 10 minutes. Because this is the very place, hear me, that Jesus needs to walk into our community and begin to adjust some of our expectations to what he thinks and he desires, not what we think or we desire. Everyone with me? Anybody? Okay, good. Dangerous. Because when we get to expectations, God's moving from intellect or emotion to motive. So here's where we're going to go. We started this series with one thing, that this is the beginning of a whole year on joy. And we began to say again, and reminding ourselves as a family of one thing, that we have one core value that connects these two things, that we believe that every Christ follower is called to participate in loving, joy-filled, gift-based service. And we began to talk with each other and said, hey, how is our attitude? Are we loving when we serve? Do we find joy in our service? Or maybe we're serving in the wrong place. And, and then we asked the question, do we even know how to serve? Because maybe we haven't taken the time to find out what our gifts are. Joy and service and gifts are interconnected in Scripture. Now, as we've been walking through as a family together, we've actually broken down spiritual gifts into three different ways. Another author helped us do this. Love gifts power gifts, and word gifts. Love gifts, power gifts, and word gifts. Love gifts demonstrate the love of God in very practical ways. Power gifts demonstrate to yourself and the community that God is alive, his presence, his reality is among us. Word gifts begin to clarify, begin to teach, begin to help us understand the actions of God. And like we've been finding out, like a, three, uh, a, stool, like a stool with three legs, if you do not have all three of these groups working in a local church, you will become lopsided, and the local church will not accomplish the heartbeat of Jesus for the community around it. Did you hear that? You need all of these, or you get dysfunctional. So we've worked through some of the love gifts, and then we started talking about the word gifts. Now, last time we were together talking about word gifts, we dealt with teaching, exhortation, and apostleship. But today we're going to spend time in this word cluster, and we're going to do it with three other gifts. Today we're going to talk about leadership, pastoring, and evangelism. Leadership, pastoring, and evangelism. Now, why I'm going to do this today is because it's a critical moment in our church's history to understand this and to reevaluate our expectations. So, everyone ready? Let's start with leading. The spiritual gift of leading is mentioned in Romans 12, verse 8. And this is basically what Paul begins to say. He says, look, if your gift is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. And then he says, and if it's to lead... Do it diligently. Now, as we talk about this gift, particularly this morning, we need to understand that this is about to adjust many of our expectations and is going to clarify some unsaid tension that has existed within our whole church family. Here we go. Everyone's like, where is he going? Just wait. The gift of leadership is not the gift of administration. The gift of leadership that God gives to leaders is all about the what and the where. It is never about the how. It's vision, not implementation. 
Remember when we talked through the love gifts, those with the gift of administration, that's a second chair gift. It's a supportive gift working alongside and underneath this gift that we're talking about right now. The gift of leadership is central in every local church. Here's how a few people have defined the gift of leadership. One said that the spiritual gift of leadership is to exercise influence over a group, to lead it towards a vision or a goal, enabling the body of Christ to accomplish God's purposes for that specific group. Another wrote, a person operating with a ruling gift demonstrates the capacity to exercise influence over a group as to lead it towards a goal or purpose with a particular emphasis on the capacity to make decisions and keeping everyone together. Now notice, catch this, leadership in the church is about vision. It's conceptual. It is the where and the what. Leaders are the ones that God speaks to and tells them what the promised land will look like before they get there. They see the ark before it's built. They see the temple built before it's even publicly spoken about. They're the ones that are given the heaven-sent what and where. But interestingly, if you look at Scripture, sometimes they're never told the how. Now notice something else here, and this is important. Those with this gift must be deeply rooted in a personal relationship with God. Because those people with this gift must hear unbelievably clearly what God is saying to them so they can lead the group they've been charged with. Without this personal deep relationship and the spiritual discipline and the spiritual gifts to hear clearly, vision in any local church becomes something other than heaven sent. It will look good or great or profound, but it will not ripple into eternity. Now this brings me to our first aha moment this morning. What I'm about to read to you this morning is really key for all of us right now and you online. Ready? Many people that have the gift of leadership also have the title or office called pastor, but they do not have the gift of pastoring or shepherding. This is so important for our church right now because many of us right now have wrong expectations, unmet expectations. So, I'm going to use myself as an example because I'm standing here right now, okay? Good morning. My name is John Thompson, and I have the spiritual gift of leadership, and I have the title of pastor. But as many of you know, I have never, nor will I probably ever have the gift of pastoring. I don't have it. I've never, I've got the title pastor, And not only that, I have the spiritual gift of leadership, but I am not a spiritually gifted pastor. Here we go. Office versus gift. See, all of us that come from other churches, especially smaller ones, need to stop and check our worldview right now. If your expectations are coming from what you had in another church or in another leader or what you think a pastor should be, you're probably being culturally driven or historically driven but not biblically driven. All of us at this moment, forget me, all of us in this community need to see each other's spiritual work through the lens of one thing, character bound to gifts. Let me read what another wrote, which should send up a huge flare about where this church is going and and how we're forming here. One person wrote this. You'll laugh if you know me. Many leaders, they write, dislike administration. 
So they make sure they have delegated that responsibility to someone else with a different gift mix. Then he says this, Lyle Shiler likens skillful pastors of growing churches, ready, to ranchers rather than shepherds. Ranchers make sure that all their different flocks and herds get the attention they need, and they always get other people to do it. They take little personal interest in the problems of individual sheep. Pastors who prefer the shepherding model will have to contend themselves with smaller churches. And then he rightly says, and this is probably God's will for them. In them, their role of leadership will suffice without even spiritual gifting. On the other hand, those that can fit into a rancher model will have greater possibilities for growth. They're likely likely to have the spiritual gift of leadership. And then he puts in this great line that takes any arrogance out of the statement or any sort of condescension because it's not here. And then he quickly writes and says, but God, of course, loves and calls both shepherds and ranchers. Now, many of you sitting here this morning, and you online, and some of our pastoral staff actually have the spiritual gift called pastor or shepherding. But you can never impose what you want a staff person or a fellow volunteer to be without looking at them and yourself through the lens of spiritual gifts. That's how God has set up the church. I have the gift of leadership. It doesn't make me better or worse. It's just what God has given me in my role. I love C4 Church. I do care for you. But my God-given role, for example, in this church, is to lead the whole community. It's to delegate. It's to pray. It's to preach. It's to give vision. Yet at the same time, for this church to keep getting smaller as we get larger, there is going to have to be, everyone ready? A pastoral gift revolution among many of you. One person agrees. No, let this sink in. As we get larger, and by the way, we're going to, to do big and small well, which has been the tension for us for over two and a half years, we need a spiritual pastoring revolution among us. But we'll get to that in a moment. Now, here's some symptoms that another thought through that might tell you you probably have the gift of leadership. You have an ability to get direction or vision for God for a group, even a ministry. You have an ability to influence others in that direction. In some cases, not all, those with leadership have an ability to organize or build structures so it happens effectively. Also, it should be noted that people with the gift of leadership always operate in conjunction with other gifts. A person operating in this gift will more likely have at least one or more word gifts or power gifts in operation in order to flow in a leadership gift. So here's my question this morning to our family and to you online. Is this you? Are you actually called as a leader spiritually? Are you running from God? Are you obeying him on this? Do you have the needed growing character to stand so when you do stand up to lead, you're doing it for God's glory, you're doing it for Jesus' presence, and you're doing it from a spirit-empowered place? Is that you? Leadership in any church is central to its present, its past, and its future. And if you're a leader among us and you actually have the spiritual gift, you may be a leader in corporations or you may be a leader in your home. That doesn't necessarily mean you have the spiritual gift of leadership. Do you have the spiritual gift of leading God's people? If you do, we're really glad you're here. Now that brings us to our second gift. 
The gift I've already referred to, the gift called shepherding or pastoring. Now, I want to say right up front, though it's not sort of in my wheelhouse by God's design, I want to acknowledge publicly right now that this is a powerful gift, a beautiful gift, it's a needed gift, and it's the only way the church does church well. Now, one of the strongest passages that helps us understand this comes from the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 11. And we've read this before together. It goes like this. So Christ gave himself apostles, then prophets, then evangelists, then pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ can be built up. Now, notice all those gifts are other-centered. I mean, that's the whole point of spiritual gifts. It's not about our identity. It's not about our own glory. It's about God's glory and supporting each other. But we see right there that one of the gifts is pastoring. Here's how some people actually defined it. Ready? One person wrote, The pastoral gift is the capacity to exercise, keywords, concern and care for members of a group, so to encourage them in their growth in Christ, which involves modeling maturity, protecting them from error, and disseminating truth. Another person wrote it this way, the gift of pastoring is the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ as to assume long-term personal responsibility for their spiritual welfare of that group of believers. Now notice the words. They're so important. Notice words like concern, care, model, personal responsibility, welfare. All these words are one thing, person-centered. The idea comes from sheep raising. A shepherd should be and is, guess what, sheep-centric. They look after one flock. They give personal attention to each sheep in their flock. They teach, they build unity, they heal wounds. Or as another person wrote, they do whatever else is necessary to see that people continue in the faith and grow up in their spiritual lives. See, here it is. God's heart, his pastoral care heart, his desire for that smaller group or person to become a fully devoted community or a fully devoted follower will never allow a person with a gift of pastoring to lead many. And that's not bad or lesser or negative. It's powerful. It's significant. It's the way God works it out. Leaders are called, they're compelled to make the vision calls for all. Pastors are called to, inter- to involve themselves and make calls for the few and the one. Now, did you notice in Ephesians 4 that teaching and pastoring are connected? And of course, they can be for sure. Many pastors, if you know them, are teachers and teachers are pastors. And of course, one of the ways that we all grow up is we actually find out living truth and we're stopped by error. He stops or she stops error. But again, I was really helped when I read these words. A teacher, he wrote, can have a low need for people, but a pastor can have a high need for people. A teacher tends to be content-centered, motivation-centered, or task-centered. But a pastor is personally person-centered. The key idea of shepherding is people. The spiritual care for people, which can take the form of teaching or pastoral care or presence or discipleship. It is the long-term journey with people so they can just be loved through life. Gary Powell, who I've worked with for years and was a teenager with me when I was the youth pastor here, always says these words, and this is how I interpret what he says. It's not an exact quote, because Gary would be concerned about exact quotes. So this is what he would say, and this is his heart. He would say, listen, I just want people to know Jesus. 
I want them to really love him. I want them to follow after him in everyday life. I just want to help them do this well, and I want to do it over the long haul with people. See, friends, that's the cry of a real shepherd. He's got the office and the gift. Now, in our context, this is one of the most needed gifts at this point in our history. We need pastors. I say it again. We need pastors. Some of you are confused. You are one. No. Yes. No. Maybe. Sorry. Yeah. We need pastors at C4 Church. And the biggest expression of this is actually found in a very old thing. It's found in our now need to rebuild our whole small group ministry from the ground up. In the next few weeks, the leaders that are left, and there are a few of you, are being invited to meet, to pray, to be encouraged, to be challenged, and actually finally be given some direction and vision. But we are going to be relaunching, hear this, our whole adult small group ministry at the end of January. And this is the time when we need you with the spiritual gift of shepherding or pastoring to really stand up and give your life to the community around you. If your overriding concern is with the health and growth of people around you, that God has placed in this church, if you want the back door to close at Crothers Creek as the wide door gets wider in the front, then you probably are a pastor. And my challenge to you is this. You need to stand, say, God, I'll do anything you want me to. Go to Joanna LaFleur and her new form team and said, I am now ready to be a pastor for a group of people. Many of you have never considered yourselves pastors, but it's exactly what you are. You may not have the title, but when heaven looks at you, he says, clergy. That's the truth that some of you need to embrace, but maybe you've never embraced for a thousand reasons. So there's leader and there's pastor. Very different roles, but both significant and needed in any church, but especially a church that slowly but surely is going towards what God has asked us to become. So here's my question. Are you a pastor? Are you called? Does God consider you a shepherd? If so, your time is now for us. Now we come to the last gift this morning. The gift called evangelism. It's very needed, very powerful, and very misunderstood. When I say the word evangelist, what goes through your mind? Yeah, Billy Graham, that's a good example, thank God. Lots of bad examples usually. Now, again, we're going to talk about this because we either have terrible examples or Billy Graham. Wow. (laughs) Awesome. We're all done. Let's go home, right? But we need to get into this because we need to understand what is our vision in this church? Our vision in this church is to become a regional church of what? 10,000, meeting the physical, emotional, spiritual needs of people. Does anyone think we're going to need some evangelists in our church? I do. And by the way, we don't want them coming to Crothers Creek. Who cares about our brand? We want people to meet Jesus. That's what this is about. And so at the heart of that is an evangelist. So the question is, are you an evangelist? Now, let's think about it. This only appears three times in the New Testament. I was shocked by that this week. It only appears three times. The first one is, we've just read it, Ephesians 4.11. Christ gave himself apostles, prophets, evangelists. Paul was mentoring a young pastor in the New Testament named Timothy. 
and he wrote him some different letters. In his second letter, we find out that Timothy, though he is a pastor, also has the gift of evangelism. 2 Timothy 4, 5, but you keep your head in all situations. Good pastoral advice. Endure hardship. Welcome to pastoral ministry. Yes. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. But the most profound example of an evangelist in the New Testament is actually someone we rarely talk about. It's a man named Philip. Now, in the later part of the book of Acts, in Acts 21, here's what we read. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He was one of the original deacons. Now, if you want to read a story, go back to Acts chapter 8. It's profound. Christians, for the first time, have exploded on the scene. There was 120, then there was 3,000, then there was 5,000. They were meeting 5,000 plus in the temple, then breaking off in homes, serving communion. People were being healed. Demons were being cast out. Jesus was being preached, and then what happened? Persecution. People were being murdered for their faith, jailed. Children were being separated from their parents. This is serious stuff. They begin to scatter. Philip is scattered to a place called Samaria, the half-Jews of their day, those, of course, that Jews hated. And what we read in Acts 8.4 is this. As they scattered, they preached wherever they went. And then it says, And Philip went down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And there was what? Great joy in the city. Later, if you read the story, the Spirit of God comes on Philip and says to him, gives him a word of knowledge, Philip, go over to that man in that chariot. So what does he do? He doesn't evaluate. Well, I'm not sure if that's God talking. I just really... He runs. He runs over to the chariot. And there's a man sitting in there, an Ethiopian, who's a God-fearer. He's reading the book of Isaiah. And the Spirit of God says to Philip, tell him. So can you imagine this? It's like running up to the car. Excuse me. Yeah, we'd be like, 911, what's your emergency? You know, all right. And he says, I need to tell you about this. The eunuch, he's a eunuch because he worked for a queen. Difficult. Anyway, historic. Okay, so he's there. He runs up. He's reading this. What takes place? The eunuch says to Philip, who is this man talking about? himself or another. And then here's the great phrase at the end of chapter 8 where he actually says in verse 35, with that very passage, that very passage of scripture, he began to tell him the good news about Jesus. See, if you hang out with an evangelist, a real gifted one, here's what happens no matter the situation. It's not forced, it's not rude, it's not weird. Jesus is talked about all the time in any situation. Now notice, like all the gifts you over time will know that you have this gift because when you function there, you will have great joy. And here's the second thing. You will see results. Here's a few definitions of evangelism. Evangelism is the special ability in communicating the gospel message in relevant ways to unbelievers or those who have not met Jesus yet. Here's another one. Just skip to the third one. The gift of evangelism in general refers to the capacity to challenge people through various communicative methods, persuasion, to receive the gospel of salvation in Christ as to see them respond by taking initial steps in Christian discipleship. Notice this. It's not just telling people about Jesus. It's actually seeing them become Christians. Now, this last definition brings out something very important for us right now. Everyone tracking with me? Evangelism is not just about presence, 
It's about proclamation. Remember, evangelism is a speaking gift. I don't know if you've heard the famous statement attributed to St. Francis Assisi. Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. That's a powerful statement. It's a needed call for every Christian, myself included, to live an authentic, Jesus-filled, non-hypocritical life. This is a call to love unconditionally in Jesus' name, to give food, water, support, counseling, benevolence. It is the heart of our City of Hope ministries. It's the heart of Feet on the Street. It is why in our very vision statement, we are compelled by Scripture to say that we are called to meet physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of people in Jesus' name. But presence is not giving the good news. Let this sink in. A lot of churches don't preach this anymore. One is not saved by observing a quiet, godly life alone. People are saved by hearing and the giving of the good news. Through preaching, signs and wonders, a personal conversation, Jesus may show up in their dreams. The point is, the gospel is not just lived out. It has to be spoken and given. Our good works, our love for the needy, us living an authentic life in the act of Jesus allows what must come next. It prepares, it authenticates, it creates a space and an environment in the heart. But Jesus and his work has to be proclaimed. It's not an either-or thing. It's both presence and proclamation, and it always leads to the fulfillment of the promise. And never forget that we don't get to claim this as our own. Many, many, many people who are not Christians are great people. They give money and time and food and they volunteer. NGOs, governments, movie stars, people in other movements, your neighbors and friends. But their generosity does not put you in right relationship with the living God of heaven and earth. Evangelism is the giving of only one thing. The good news of God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to get very clear in our church, because we're doing both of these things at once, and they cannot be confused. Let me paraphrase what one wrote a long time ago. And if you're actually hanging out with us today, and actually you're not a Christian, you're a Christian in name only, I'm about to summarize the good news for you, though I'm not an evangelist, hear this anyway. The word gospel, he writes, comes from two Greek words. Well, an announcement. Did you know that? That's where we get the word good news from. It's a well announcement. The gift of evangelism, he writes, involves proclaiming the good news. But then he asks asks so quickly, well, what's the good news? It's the thrilling report of something that happened historically that brings joy right now. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, died for my sins personally on a cross 19 centuries ago, was buried but on the third day rose physically from the dead, God the Father can now accept his son's sacrifice as a full satisfaction for all the garbage I've done against him, myself, and others. If I reach out in trust and faith to receive Jesus as my personal Savior, I get declared righteous by God, not through anything I do, but by the merits, the work, the ability, through the credit of Christ's shed blood. Think about this. This is amazing. No longer exposed to the penalty of the law I broke, 
I get to become a child of God. I am forgiven. I am in good standing with the living God because Jesus alone, I get adopted into his family. And as I begin to embrace this good news, if I do, then what begins to happen is the implications work themselves out in my life. I have great joy because everything I did in my past is never going to be used against me again by God. Think about that. I said to the elders yesterday in a teaching session, think about the power of this. It was in my small group last night, I mean. God does not forget your sin. He he doesn't. He remembers everything. He chooses not to use it against us. Have you ever thought of the power of that, that God for eternity will know what we've done and still will look at his son a billion years later and say, I'll never use it against them. That's the freedom from our past. He gives us the spirit of God to live like Christ and he gives us hope because death is not the end. That, he writes, is good news. And evangelists have to carry this message and this message alone. Simply put, Jesus is where shame and grace and guilt collide. And God says to a really messed up world and says this to us personally, it's not too late. This isn't all that life has to offer. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. We're going to celebrate this at Christmas. For today, a Savior has been born. The heart of evangelism is the message of Christ. Now, before we get ready to respond, I need to stop, though, and address one thing that plagues all sorts of us. One thing that plagues those who are gifted and those, the many of us, who are not. And it's this. We need to be free in this church of something. And I'm going to quote someone who worked this out so well, better than me. He wrote these words. He said, Christians that have the gift of evangelism and aren't using them, using it, need to feel responsible because God has asked them to do it. But here's the the clincher. He said, second though, the 90% of us who probably don't have this gift, but have gifts other than evangelists, should not feel guilty when we assume secondary roles in the evangelistic process. If God intended you to be an evangelist, he would have made you an evangelist. And then he writes this, in some evangelical churches, the guilt trip for not evangelizing was so severe that when the 10% go out and lead people to Jesus, when the people come to the church, they're turned off by what they find. The general tone of the body, the negative self-image of the members, the gloom and defeatism that can be felt in the atmosphere makes everyone think that no one was baptized by the Spirit or by water. It's in vinegar. They turn around and go, what is this place? Praise the Lord, we're all defeated. And they leave. The thing that he's getting at is this. We who are not gifted evangelists cannot live under the guilt perpetually of not leading many people to Christ. He says, I agree with Leighton Ford, an evangelist who's willing to recognize his own evangelistic gift by saying, and I'll summarize it by saying this. He said, I have this gift. God is using me. But this, of course, can't be a cop-out. We're all called by our witty words, by our authentic life, to have the privilege maybe to lead some to Christ. But it does bring up the unsaid crisis of faith for many of us. Many of us have not seen our family or friends become Christians. And we start doubting in in our soul. We begin to say, was I lacking faith? Am, Am I hiding sin I don't know about? Was the message of Jesus maybe not so powerful? What am I doing wrong? I'm a failure before a church and God. And the seed grows and then breaks faith and then breeds disappointment. And then some of you even walk away. Yet right now, hear this. God is going to set some of you free. 
For this is about gifts and calling. He's actually saying to many of you this morning, this is not your gift. I am pleased for your faithful life and your attempts to tell others. And he says, let me take this guilt from you, this shame. Let Jesus set you free from the burden of a role that is not yours and the burden of someone else's eternal destiny. I remind you as your pastor this morning, God calls people to himself. Evangelists are the hands and feet that brings the ones he's raising to life. Everyone just breathe. Thank you. Because deep down, many of us have felt like failures as Christians because we've gone, what am I doing wrong? And the answer is nothing. Because probably it's not your gift. Live a real life. Be authentic. Be kind. Share your story about Jesus. When you, if you're a brand new Christian, share it with your family because it's so fresh and new. But do not over the long haul continually beat yourself up when you do not see many people Connect with Jesus around you because it's probably not your gift. Here's some common symptoms and then we'll be done. Some of you have an easy ability to talk with strangers. You have an intense sense and an intense burden at the thought of people being unsaved and eternally unreconciled to God. It motivates you. You have the ability to insert spiritual truth in normal conversations with people all the time. You have a freedom and joy in talking about Christian things, and I love this, which is natural and unforced. Have you ever met someone who thinks they're an evangelist, but they're not? They're the most uncomfortable, rude people when it comes to Jesus. They think they're doing something, and they're not. You probably have the gift of evangelism by the fact that people around you who you have contact with always end up pursuing you and asking questions about Jesus all the time. The fact that people actually begin to become Christians around you and make discipleship commitments by a direct or indirect result of your influence. The fact that you in your quiet times are always praying name by name for people who are not Christians or even whole family groups or neighborhoods. It's a great chance you may have the gift of evangelism. And of course, this combined with leadership can lead others. The best summary is written like this. Do you have a a strong desire to share your faith with others? All of us want to see people come to Christ. But do you, here it is, enjoy talking to others about Jesus? And are you seeing results? These gifts are central to us as a church. They help us know what God is saying to us, where to go. They make sure that we who are already part of the community are being cared for, kept accountable, by the way, and being built up. And while we're being built up and we're being led, others are going out and bringing more with us. This is like the trifecta of effective ministry right here. So my question to you is, are you a pastor? Are you a leader? Are you an evangelist? This is how we're going to respond. We've done this every week where we've talked about gifts. That is, and Alan, you can come up now and we'll get ready to do this. If you think you have this gift... We're going to ask you to come forward. It's not to embarrass you or humiliate you in any way. It's simply this. We as elders and pastors, and you guys can, uh, guys and ladies can come up now and get ready to do this too. Um, if you have this gift, we want to pray over you as leaders. We want to affirm this gift. We want to pray that you have the character you need, that God will give you the opportunities to lead appropriately, and that also he would continue to grow this deeper in you. Maybe some of you are like, you know what? I actually would like this gift. Uh, then you can ask. God may say no, but you're always welcome to ask. We're welcome to seek gifts, but God sovereignly gives them. Others of you have this gift, and you've been running for it, from it, and you know it, and you're actually in sin. And God's going to ask you at this moment, seriously, to say, that's enough. Go to the leadership of the church 
Admit you've been running. Ask forgiveness. Deal with the lordship issue because that's what it is. And then ask God to do a new work in your heart. Some of you have these gifts, but you're bitter because you wanted other gifts. If that's you, come forward and confess that and get that sorted out with God. Last thing I want to say is this. A lot of us are following the podcast because of the rotational nature of our church. And so if you have not been here during one of the weeks where we talked about your gift, administration, mercy, helps, giving, teaching, exhortation, apostleship, then you're welcome to come forward to and say, you know, I wasn't here, I caught the podcast, and I have giving or mercy or administration, and you can do uh, whatever you need to do. So I'm going to pray for our online audience. I'm going to ask you all to stand now while we do this, and then we're going to welcome you to come forward in the next song and a half here. So why don't we stand and get ready to respond. So Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you sovereignly are equipping people. I pray right now also in Jesus' name that anything that I've said that is not of Christ would fall to the ground. Pray that only what I've preached that has been God-glorifying would stay. And here's a few prayers. Number one, for our online audience, those who are evangelists, pastors, or leaders, we pray for them right now. God, give them character they don't have or grow it. Fill them, Holy Spirit, with this, with yourself so these gifts can be used for God's glory. And lastly, we pray in Jesus' name too, give them opportunities to serve wherever they are, here or in another community. And now, Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, you come on our community and that you would raise up pastors, that you would raise up leaders, you'd raise up evangelists, and that your will would be worked out. And we pray this now in the name of the Father, the Holy Son, Jesus, whom we worship, the Holy Spirit, who leads us to him, who leads us to the Father. And all of God's people said... Amen. Just come when you're ready, and uh, we're going to pray for you. Thanks so much. Thanks for being with us today. If you want to know more about our church or give financially, go to our website at www.carotherscreek.ca.